0: If you would, lift your Bible above your head. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life and my life is the better. After hearing, obeying, and applying. A word from the Lord. That's a great introduction to each sermon because we have to recognize that we have to hear the words. And hearing, in this case, implies more than just listening. It means listening with intent. Might want to pull that a little bit away. Listening with intent. Because we intend on hearing God's word and then obeying God's word and applying it into our life. Jesus said like this. For those who have ears. For those who have ears let them hear. Because what he's insinuating is not everybody that listens hears. So hopefully today we'll be hearing. And hopefully y'all say something that's worth y'all hearing. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today. Um, this is the end of the second week of of consecration our prayer and fasting if you have not yet joined in in the consecration program please do so pick a fast start it this week go on for the next week and then move from there but I want to point out there's no point in fasting if you don't do the other part of it otherwise it's just dieting If you're not praying, you're wasting your time. If you're not using the the, the time that you would spend in whatever it is you're fasting from, building your spiritual side, it's pointless. And we're going to get into that a little bit more as we move into this lesson. But it's really important to bear in mind you got to, the, the whole point of this is to substitute. Lowering your physical self, your fleshly self, building your spiritual self. That's what our purpose is. All right, so we come up here and we say in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So much to unpack right there in that first verse. Now, we got a lot to get through today, so y'all gonna have to listen fast, okay? <laughs> The very first thing we say, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He's going to be tempted. He knows what he's fixing to go through, but he's being tempted. And and, and the fact of the matter is he's being led by the Holy Spirit. We've got to understand there's two times that we get tempted. One, when we're led by God. God actually, he doesn't tempt us, but he leads us to places where we can be tempted. But the thing is, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says what? Our God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But with each temptation, we'll provide a way out. So the fact is, He, he may lead us to places where we will be tempted, but it's being done for our own good. We're going to get more into that later too. But we're led often by the Holy Spirit. To a place where we can be tempted. But there's another time we get tempted. When we end up going to places that we're not tempted. We get there because of our own selves. This is the ones that we get in trouble for. Because see God. Sets us up so that we can be tempted. But gives us provision for a way out. But when we set ourselves up. For temptation there is no way out there's not a way out provided so this is something we got to watch for ourselves and guess what when we rely on ourselves rather than on the Holy Spirit what happens I don't know about y'all but I fail anytime I start depending on Jeff rather than God it never really works out well so let's understand there's two ways we can be led by the Spirit or we can be led by ourselves. So, we come to the next verse, verse 2. <laughs> now, we've been, we've been fasting, right? And it's, it's sometimes a struggle, right? Let me tell you the bad news. The struggle while you fasting ain't the struggle. The struggle while you fasting is a struggle against you. For example, the other day, I, I, I get to go over to the Jackson County Jail and I get to teach the guys over there about Jesus through the Celebrate Recovery program. And, and the other day when I was headed over there, I wanted a cheeseburger. I mean, I really wanted a cheeseburger. And on the way home, again, I really wanted a cheeseburger. But I'm fasting, right? Right? No cheeseburgers. And it dawned on me when I was on the way back. You know why that temptation came up so badly? It wasn't because the devil was attacking me with cheeseburgers. The fact of the matter is, when I go over to the jail, I normally get a cheeseburger on my way over. So the flesh, the flesh says, Oh, we get a cheeseburger. But the spiritual Jeff is trying to go, no, no cheeseburgers. Bad cheeseburgers. It's not time for a cheeseburger. Stay off. But the physical form says, you know what? It is time. Every time we go to jail, that's our reward. We get a a cheeseburger for going over and teaching to the jail. It ain't fair. But again, I go back to it. That struggle ain't against the devil. That's against me. So, what we find out is that most of the time when we're going through a fast, the struggle is not with the demonics, it's not against the devil, it's against ourselves. It's denying our physical, our flesh, and building up our spirit. So, in verse 2, it says, After the fast, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. King James Version actually says, After the fast. So the, the fact of the matter is, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, so we've got to understand the fast is done. He's finished with his fast. Jesus is no longer in a position where he is still fasting. He has completed it. But as soon as the fasting, the fasting is completed, guess who shows up? In <laughs> verse 3 it says, and the tempter came. So here's the bad news guys and I'm sorry for you that have been fasting and that you that I'm asking you hopefully to start the fasting when the bad stuff happens and here's the reason why if you're in a military battle you don't attack the enemy when they're ready for you you know why they always attack at dawn? Because that's normally when people are the tiredest. Right? Jesus said himself, he said, you don't break into the strong man's house while he's ready for you. And that's what this is. The devil's not going to come against you when you've been working your spirit out and you're buff and you're ready to go. He sits there and he looks. and says, no, that brother, he ain't, no, no, ain't no point in that. But what happens is whenever you let your guard down. When you let your guard down... That's when they hit. That's when the enemy attacks. In the physical realm and in the spiritual realm, that's exactly what's going to happen. When we start letting our guard down, when we're not praying every single night, when we're not praying during the day instead of eating, when we've started letting go some of the spiritual disciplines that we started putting in place during this 21 days of fast, that's when the devil's going to come against us. And that's exactly what happens here. The devil shows up. And he comes up to him. And he says these words. He says, if you are the Son of God. Now, first of all, I want you to understand something. He's not questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God. There's something you got to look at here. If you go back to an old English collegiate dictionary... The Shakespearean word, if, didn't mean maybe. It meant since. So what's going on here is the devil is not questioning the deity of Christ. The devil is confirming the deity of Christ. There's a a great uh, um, New Testament that I have. It's called the Woost Expanded Translation. The Woost Expanded Translation uh, was uh, um, translated by a man named Kenneth Woost. And he went for a little different direction whenever he was translating it. When he translated the the scriptures, um, anybody ever heard the phrase, it's Greek to me? You know why they have that word, that phrase? When they say it's Greek to me, that means it's confusing. It's hard to understand. Well, that's because the Greek language is hard to understand. I mean, it's really hard to translate Greek into anything else because the fact of the matter is different words will mean different things based on where they are in the sentence. So you can have a word that's a noun, and it means one thing. Same word as a verb, it means something different. And something something as a, a, um, at the end of the sentence, it could mean a third thing. And then, depending on how they actually spell that word, it can mean different stuff based on that. For example, Gnostic means knowing. Agnostic means you don't know. So it's real easy to to find a struggle translating Greek, especially into English. So Mr. Woost, what he decided to do was he decided he would take and translate the statement that was being made into the very words that they needed in order to make the translation of the thought and the sentence complete. So in Mr. Wu's translation, this is what verse 3 in Matthew chapter 4 says. He says, In view of the fact that you are the Son of God, by virtue of your divine participation, excuse me, In view of the fact that you are Son of God, by virtue of your participation in the divine essence of deity, speak to the end that these stones become bread. So here we have more evidence that the fact of the matter is there was no question. The devil didn't question whether or not this was Jesus or not, whether or not he was the Son of God. That's not what was going on. He knew who this was. Well, Jeff, you're just playing words there. No, no, I, I, I mean, maybe that part was, but let's look at the question. What was the temptation? To turn rocks into bread, right? Can anybody in here turn rocks into bread? Anybody? I don't see nobody raising their hand. What about, do y'all post on the, um, on, on the Facebook page if, if you can do it. But the fact of the matter is none of us can. Who is the only person that possibly could have turned the rocks into bread? The one who created the rock to begin with. So we come to find out there is no question about whether he was, if he was the, de- uh, uh, the son of God or not. The fact of the matter was the devil knew what he was and he knew what he was tempting him with. But we come back, we have a different problem. What is the temptation? Well, most people think the temptation is to turn the rock into bread. That's not the temptation. If you remember, it said after the fast. After he had fasted for the 40 days. So the, tempta- the, 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 the fact that he could eat was okay. He had gotten finished with his fast and it was okay for him to get a cheeseburger. But the thing is, he would have had to walk into town to McDonald's to get a cheeseburger. What we have here is a temptation to use the power that God gave him for his own personal needs. That's the temptation. The temptation to use what God has given us to satisfy our own lusts, our own flesh. For example, in my life, I want a Tesla S with that ludicrous speed. You know the one I'm talking about? The one that I outrun run, uh, uh, even the old muscle cars when they've been souped up? I want one of them. It's only about $120,000. Wendy won't let me have one. So the fact of the matter is what I could could manipulate situations to acquire that. But am I using what God has given me as an individual in the appropriate manner if I did that? No. Because God would rather me drive an Elantra and be able to donate into the church and into other ministries the way he chooses to. So that's a temptation I have to resist because I could drive over to New Orleans and sign a piece of paper and drive off. Wendy's made sure my credit is good enough. I can do that. Of course, I often have to understand there's consequences to giving into temptation and one of them would be sleeping in the Tesla (laughs) until they repoed it because she wouldn't pay for it. All right. Now, now, y'all made me lose my place. But Jesus, of course, answered, No, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. A lot of great sermons about that. Great idea, to concept to use the word of God to fight the temptations. But bear in mind, the word of God's got to be in you or else it ain't going to work. If you hadn't put the Word of God into you, there's no way you're going to be able to recite it back out to the devil. I do want to point out one thing. Jesus didn't say in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 10, it says, okay, I want you to understand you don't necessarily need to know chapter and verse. I mean especially nowadays when we got <laughs> especially nowadays when we got phones that we can pull it up if we need to. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't know it, you're not going to be able to use it. So you got to get to know it. Okay? Now we go on to the next temptation. It says, when then the devil took him to the holy city and and set him upon a pinnacle in the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, again, there is no question here. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their heads and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now, you got to understand, the devil knows Scripture too. And in this case, the two Scriptures that he's using are Messianic Scriptures. They're Scriptures telling about how God feels about the Messiah. So if Jesus isn't the Messiah, why is the devil using Messianic Scriptures to try and tempt him? So what he's trying to do is get Jesus to jump off the temple and let the angels come and save him. Let me tell you what this temptation is. It's pride. you got to understand, where is he at? He's at the temple. Who is it that becomes his biggest enemies? The people in the temple. So what he's doing is, he's, he, the devil's tempting him to jump off this pinnacle so that everybody sees the angels save him. And then therefore, they'll recognize that he is the Messiah, that he is the King. So that therefore, they won't have the opportunity to fight him and debate him and argue with him. This is the temptation. I mean, how many times have we really wanted to show our enemies? You know? How how many times have we really wanted to tell our enemies what for? I mean, don't you know who I am? I don't understand how you can treat me like that. You got to be crazy. You have lost your mind. So I'm going to show you something. And every time I've ever thought those sentences, the actions that fell, followed after it were not godly thoughts. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. I could go through a few examples. Wendy could tell you a few. Let's not go there. <laughs> it's just never a good thing when those thoughts start running through my head. Because <laughs> there have been times when I've had to tell folks what I thought about it, <laughs> And I had to go back and apologize later because God said that was wrong for you to say it like that. Not that you were wrong, it's that you were wrong for the way you said it. And I got tired of having to go back and apologize to people because they were stupid. And you can't say it like that either, you know that, right? You can't go back, I'm sorry you were stupid. And I had to tell you what about it. You can't do that, God don't let you do that either. You just have to go back and say, I'm sorry I treated you like that. And then, of course, that vindicates everything they said to them in their mind because, you know, hey, they're stupid, so they think that anyway. Okay, all right, moving on. <laughs> um, all right, so we come back here, and we, we, we say again, we find that Jesus does what? He uses Scripture. Again, it is written, thou shalt not put your God, the Lord your God to the test. So we come to this last temptation. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. All right, let's, let's go into this one a little more in detail because this is a hard one. Um, the first question is, does Satan have the authority to give Christ the kingdoms of the world? And the answer comes back, it wouldn't have been a temptation if he couldn't. It's not a temptation for you to tell me you're going to give me my Elantra. I already own it, right? If I do this for you, you're going to give me my car. I already own my car, so that's not a temptation. So it had to have been feasible for that to be the case. Well, how is it feasible? Well, let's look at Scripture again. Scripture says in... Uh, um, I don't know if I put these on there or not, but, but in, in uh, um, Exodus it says that if you are a slave and you have children and then you are later set free, your children are still slaves. And when Adam submitted himself to eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam committed sin. Jesus himself said if you commit sin, you become a slave to sin. So therefore, we become a slave to sin under Adam, and all the future generations are slaves to sin. This is why it was so important that Jesus be born of a woman and not of a man. Because it follows the male lineage. So so in becoming the first person not born of a man, he can now be the first person free from sin. Now, he did a great job because the first thing the the, the devil tempted him with was the bread, right? Eating, food, physical. Adam failed the first test. They never had to go to the second and third. Jesus made it by the first one. He did what Adam could not do. He did what most of us can't do. So we look at what the temptation actually is. Do you realize that each one of us in here has a purpose in the kingdom of God? There is a mission for each of us to fulfill. Jesus had a mission when he came to earth. That mission was to die on a cross for my sins so I could be set free. So that he becomes Lord. Well, the devil is offering him exactly that. You can be glum Lord of the entire earth. And you never have to go through what you're fixing to go through for the next four years. Never have to deal with it. You'll never have to go to the cross, Jesus. If you just bow down. And I'll give it all to you. But Jesus said, no. No, you should worship only God. What it means is that we should be following God's plan, not our plan. I don't know about y'all. God can't tell me what he wants me to do five years from now. He can't do that. And the reason he cannot do that is because I'll go try and do it today. Y'all laughing at me like y'all wouldn't. I would go try and do it today. But the problem is I'm not prepared today to do what God wants me to do five years ago. If, if I were prepared today, he wouldn't want me to do it five years from now. He'd want me to do it today. I'm only prepared today to do what God's will for today is. The more I try to do what God's will for five years today from today is, it fails. And I'm going to tell you, I've tried to do that. I've tried to do God's will for the future immediately, and it didn't work out real well. Created struggles and problems and, and, and like you would not believe. Because I wasn't prepared. So here we have Jesus given the opportunity not to go through the struggles, the trials but to fulfill God's work. Now you got to understand it's all a lie because if Jesus submitted himself then all the world would still be under bondage. So there's no way that it really would have accomplished God's purpose by doing so. But the fact of the matter is if I were the one going to go to the cross for y'all It would be really hard to say no to that temptation, thinking that I might be able to solve the problem without it. Thankfully, we got a Savior that's better than I am. Thankfully, we got a Savior that's willing to do what has to be done, even in the hard times, instead of taking the easy way out. And then it says in verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So basically, what the devil tempted him with in the second temptation is what exactly happens after, except it's done in private. It's done without the prideful effect coming into place. God sends his angels to minister. Some of them probably brought some takeout food couple of bags of cheeseburgers. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Milkshake, probably. I doubt it was broccoli. Just saying. Just saying, I doubt it was broccoli. I mean, I would eat it if the angels brought it, but I'm going to ask where the cheeseburgers are. But the fact of the matter is, Scripture tells us that Jesus did it with joy. For what was set before him. And what we're talking about is you and me. Jesus went through the suffering, the struggles, the trials, the temptations. He went through it because of you and me. And he found joy in doing so. Even in the persecution, he found joy. Because he could look into the future, which the devil could not. He could look into the future and see some crazy fella 2,000 years later that would have been dead in his sins and trespasses if Jesus didn't go through it. He said, if I go through this, then that boy Jeff will one day change his life and find a way to help others do the same. But it'll only happen in Jesus' name. So here's my challenge to you guys. I want you to try and find joy in your struggles. Now let me tell you something, it's not only my challenge to you, it's what God says. James chapter uh, chapter 1. I love that passage. In verse 2 it says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of diverse kind. That's what the King James says, diverse kind. You know what diverse means? Lots and different. It means at the same time, lots of different kinds. You're going to have lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of different kinds of struggles over the course of your life. I wish I could tell you, come down here on the front, fall down on your knees, pray to God, and you'll never have no more trials or struggles. Wouldn't that be awesome? But it ain't going to happen. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You know what tribulation means? Trouble. You're going to have struggles. We're struggling. But James tells us that we need to find joy in the struggle. So how do we do that? How do we find joy in the struggle? You know what? I, I, I struggle. With, I'm, I'm not that good at it. I'm getting better, but I'm not that good at it. So, so, so I'm not standing up on this platform preaching down to folks. I'm trying to tell you all what I'm trying to learn. Number one... Look at James chapter 1, verse 1. This is an awesome, awesome verse. Everybody ignores it. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can that be such a great thing? Well, first of all, let me tell you who James is. James is the brother of Jesus Christ. But he don't claim that. He don't sit there and say, James, the brother of Jesus Christ, under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's not what he says. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know else, who else James is? James is the senior pastor of the first megachurch. We know they had at least 8,000 men as members. Don't know how many women. Don't know how many folks after that. We just know that there's there's those two 5,000 and 3,000 were added at one time. So James is is the leader of the first megachurch. And in this first verse, we don't see James saying, James, the senior pastor and apostle, of the church of Jerusalem, who told Paul what he ought to say. Instead, we just have James, the servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we learn, if we pay attention to this, what we learn is the fact that if we're going to try and count it all joy, the first thing we got to do is we got to be humble. We got to be humble. Pastors preached on humility uh, to the leadership and to, to the congregation as a whole and how important humility is. And again, I go back to it. Humility does not mean weakness. But if we can practice biblical humility, humility, that's going to be the first step. And us being able to count it all joy. Well, what about the next thing? Well, let's go down just a couple of verses more. It says, in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfast have its full effect. Steadfast patience, forbearance, Those words are all translated by the same thing. And it's really neat. The word trials is also translated into tests and into temptations. So we're still referring to tests. We're referring to temptations. we got to let these things work through us when we're led by the Spirit to do so so that we can develop patience. So we first have to, the second point we have to do is we have to understand that there's a purpose in the test. There's a purpose in the trial. There's a purpose in the temptation. I use Job as an example. In the beginning of the Bible, God says something about Job. He don't say it about nobody else. He looks at the devil and he says, Have you considered my servant Job, who is perfect? and upright in all his ways. I don't find God calling too many people perfect. I know if he said to the devil, Are you, have you considered my brother Jeff? He ain't going to use the word perfect and upright in all his ways. He's not. But he says that about Job. So at the beginning of the book, Job is perfect and upright in all his ways. So why did Job go through all the struggles that he went through? Well, really and truly, the answer is in the last two chapters. If you remember, at the beginning of the book, Job worshipped God. But see, at the end of the book, he knew God. At the end of the book, he had a relationship with God. It wasn't just an impersonal relationship worship act done because of obedience granted hey obedience is better than sacrifice so thank God for obedience but God doesn't just want obedience from us oh he wants it but he wants that relationship with us that's why he even created us is to have that personal relationship with him that's why he sent his son to die for us so that we would have that personal relationship with him And that's why he put Job through what he put him through. So we recognize that the second step to having joy is to recognize there's a purpose in it. Oh, look, sometimes we got to hunt around for it. Sometimes we got to look under stuff. Sometimes we got to look around stuff. Sometimes you got to hunt for that purpose. Because I'm going to tell you, while you're going through the struggles, you end up having blinders. At least my case, I do. I end up putting blinders on and I can't really see what God's trying to do. So at that point, I have to depend on people praying for me and people that I know that are spiritual people. I have to depend on them to help me to understand. That's why you got to have a church family. And I'm so happy that y'all are my church family. I am so blessed to have... This church as my support. I have been blessed from the day I walked in here. Thank you, Brother Chat. If you're mad because I'm here, it's Brother Chat's fault. <laughs> he brought me, it's all his fault. So, the first thing we got to remember is humility, the second thing is it's a purpose. Well, what about the third thing? Well, there is a third thing, and we got to count it joy. Sometimes it's difficult to understand, but the fact is, people are watching us. People are watching us go through the struggles we go through. They're determining their faith based on how you act in the struggle. Your family that don't know Jesus are looking at you. And if you act like they act whenever they're in the struggle, they're not going to buy Jesus. That Jesus ain't nothing. Why should I accept Jesus and act like that? Your friends, your people at work, your co-workers. All of these folks are watching us. This is what pastor calls our area of ministry. Granted, it's great to speak the words of God. But if you can't fill them out when you're going through a struggle... Keep your mouth shut. People people are tired of hearing about Jesus and then folks acting crazy. Christians are the biggest problem with Christianity. It's the way we act. That's going to determine whether they accept Christ or not. Pastor says it all the time. They're not going to come in here and listen to him and get saved. They're going to get saved based on what you do. So we got to remember when we're going through the struggle that we got to have humility. We got to remember there's a purpose. And we got to remember people are watching us. And when we stop to take those things into account, and we realize that, that humbling ourselves to what God has before us, recognizing He's doing something in our lives, and then realizing that somebody may receive Christ as, as a result of our behavior in that test, that temptation, that trial, that tribulation. That's a good reason to count it for all joy. To find joy in the struggle in the problem in the trial. Because if you get caught up in the trial, it ain't going to be joyful. If that's where you dwell is in the trial, it ain't going to be joyful. So we got to stop and we got to take consideration of this. So I want to ask you at this moment. The first thing we have to recognize is that there is no way to find joy. There's no way to overcome the temptations if you don't have Christ. Without the Savior that died for us, living inside us, we can't do it. Now, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, today's an excellent day to do so. It's an excellent day. This is the day and this is the hour of salvation. But if you have accepted Christ, maybe it's time to make a new commitment to trying to find the joy in the struggle, in the temptation. Maybe it's time to make a a different commitment to acting in godly manners instead of in the way that we often act instead. And I'm here to encourage you to do so. So if you would, bow your heads. And just lift your heart up to Christ. And if you've never accepted Him as your Savior, it's an easy thing to do. There's only two conditions. One, you've got to believe Him. you got to believe that He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for you. And the second thing is, you have to confess Him as Lord. Which means you've got to stop being Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you confess Him as Lord you probably don't really know what that means. That's what discipleship's for. That's why having good Christian friends and mentors, that's what that's for, to teach you how that works. Having godly people in your life that'll help lift you up further and further into the kingdom. But basically, it's a simple prayer. Lord, I believe in you. Lord, I'm tired of trying to do it my own. I want to do it your way. It's an easy prayer to pray. And if you haven't before, do so today. And if you would, after you've prayed that prayer, get with one of our ushers or one of our prayer warriors and let them know that you've done that, made that commitment today. But for those of us that have been following Christ, maybe for a week, maybe for 20 years, maybe for longer, are we living the life that God wants us to live? Are we finding our ways in the temptation the way that He wants us to find? Are we using our gifts to please ourselves? Are we using our gifts to show other people how they are? Are we using our gifts incorrectly to find God's way and doing it our way? So I'm just going to reach out and pray. And I I ask of you, like Pastor always say, make it personal. Pray for yourself. I'm going to pray for you too, but I'm going to ask you to do so too.